Welcome everyone to Beyond Our Sidelines. On today's episode, I'm very excited to welcome Valerie Condos Field, also known as Miss Val. Uh, we will sit down for a, a really insightful discussion about her unique coaching philosophy, uh, why we should be redefining what success looks like, what the true role of a coach is, and, and why it's so important to instill joy in others. Uh, so please sit back and enjoy a conversation with not only one of the most successful coaches in history, uh, but an equally wonderful individual. Thanks for listening and enjoy. I've watched your TED talk and I love it. Um, and so I think I think we align a lot of ways in the way we way we think, and especially with what you were talking about in there. And so I, uh, you know, that was why I reached out because I've I've seen your TED talk before, and I, I just I thought it's a really good fit for what I want to want to do with this overall. Um, Great. But I'll, I'll dive in and we'll get started because I want to learn from you and I want to I want to hear what. Uh, hear what you're thinking. Um, but I wanted to, to just like start off by saying thank you so much for joining me. Um, it really is a privilege and, and an honor to, to get to sit down and, and chat with you for a little bit. And um, I, I won't I won't bore you too much with my own coaching story, but I, I really relate to yours um, because what I've been doing as a coach and, and as a like a program implementer is in a sport that I personally never played. Um, I didn't grow up playing. And so I do a lot in, in the soccer space. Um, right. And I didn't play soccer. I didn't grow up playing soccer. I didn't, you know, I didn't play in college or anything like that. But, you know, when I lived outside the U.S. and then coming back, I was, I've just been involved in soccer. It's just what kind of naturally happened. And uh, it's what I've coached and it's what I've done for, for, for work, uh, and for the most part. And so I, I really relate to, to your story. Um, and so, uh, I, I just, you know, I think, uh, I'm just happy to, to be able to sit down with you, but I, I, I think I'd love to just start. I'm familiar with your, with your story, but you know, for those that might not be as familiar, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your coaching story and your background and, um, how you came to be where you are today. Okay. Uh, so I have been, coaching gymnastics at UCLA for 37 years and I was the head coach for 29 years I just recently retired and um, during that time uh, obviously learned a lot and figured out how to win in the world of athletics Uh, helped our team earn seven national championships and been inducted into the UCLA Athletic Hall of Fame which is rather overwhelming to think of and um, was even voted the Pac-12 Coach of the Century. Uh, but I think the most fun fact of all of that is that I've never done gymnastics. I was a bat, literally a ballerina. And um, I was 22 years old. I was dancing with the Washington National Ballet. And um, I heard that UCLA needed a new dance coach for their gymnastics team. And without any hesitation, I picked up the phone, figured out who the head coach was, made the call, made the ask, and they offered me a full scholarship to go to school to be their choreographer and their dance coach. And I had not gone to college yet. And I was, like I said, I was 22. And so I just immediately said, heck yeah, I retired (laughs) from dancing. I moved to LA and just jumped in. And I was the assistant coach through my through my education and then I graduated and I was gonna go become a journalist and the athletic director called me in her office and said we're gonna make a change and we want you to be the new head coach to which I guffawed and I reminded <laughs> her that 
remember, I don't know the first thing about gymnastics. And she said to me, I've noticed and observed how you work with the student athletes. And I love how you are, you're compassionate, but you're tough. And I trust you'll figure the rest out. And so that's all I got. Wow. You did, you figured it out. I figured it out. Uh, It took a while, (laughs) but I did figure it out. And the worst thing I did was I knew absolutely nothing, okay? I didn't know. I knew I could hire coaches to coach the X's and O's. Right. But I grew up on stage. I didn't know anything about how to develop a a culture, a, a healthy culture. Right. And so in my mind, this was the early 80s. In my mind, if you were to, if you're going to be a coach, you had to be this really tough-minded, tough-talking, relentless, not chair-throwing, but think Bobby Knight. Yep, yep. And <laughs> those were the people that I felt were successful. And so I emulated that persona of toughness. And we did not do well as a team, and I did not do well as a head coach. And I remember when I would be saying, throwing these clips out, go hard or go home, things like that. Inside, I'd just be chuckling because I was acting. There was nothing authentic to who I was. I was just acting like a coach, and we were horrible. (laughs) Right, or who you thought a coach was supposed to be. Like that's Right. And right. you know, it's funny, you talk about that. So like I told you, I loved your, your TED talk and you talked about that kind of transformation a little bit in your talk from, you know, the, an individual who was, you know, kind of mimicking or using, you know, these other coaching styles to then kind of coming into your own coaching style. Um, and, and so what was that process like? What, what was that? Was there a moment where you were just like, aha, I need to do this differently. I need to, to transform and become something else. And how did that turn into kind of your own coaching style? There was absolutely an aha moment. It was me walking through our student union on the way to our athletic director's office to resign, to say, ha I told you I was going to be good at this. Right. And as I was walking through the student union, I happened upon one of the great coach John Wooden's books. And it was a book on leadership. And it literally, like, think about when it's made into a movie. It's going to be fabulous. <laughs> it opened up to his definition of success. And I, sadly, I had never studied John Wooden, even though he was had been at UCLA for so long. And I had not mimicked John Wooden. I mimicked other coaches. But I read his definition of success, which is, uh, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result in knowing that you have done your best. And this made no sense to me because, first of all, we're in the world of athletics. We're hired to win. So success is winning. Right. Um, second of all, success is peace of mind. Like, how does that fit into the world of athletics? So I read it over and over and over because I was just dumbfounded here was this coach that had been hailed as the greatest coach that ever lived he won 10 championships in 12 years and he's talking about success is peace of mind and knowing you have done your best and in them in i kept reading it over and over and over and finally as you said i had the biggest aha moment of my life my professional life and 
success is peace of mind in knowing you have done your best. I have been trying to be somebody else. And so I realized in that moment that whenever you try to be somebody else, you'll always be a second rate them because it's not authentic to you at all. And the worst part about trying to be somebody else is that it prevents you from really honing in who you are and what my coaching philosophy should be and, and, and all that. So I didn't resign and I went back to uh, the athletic department and I just thought, okay, if I'm going to continue in this, in this job as the head coach, what do I bring to the table? And then it was like, okay, so I went through my resume of what I brought as a professional ballet dancer. I know how to set goals. I know how to work through pain. I know what it's like to be in a sport where you are body shamed, like a lot of gymnasts are. I know what it's like to have to be in a leotard every day as a, as a woman. That's not really that much fun. Um, and I knew how the thing that I knew that, that I could do better than any other coach in the country, gymnastics coach, was... I could prepare them mentally, emotionally, and physically to be really calm and confident and excited as they were standing in the wings, so to speak, ready to go on stage. Because I never got freaked out going on stage. And what you translate that to gymnastics, they're, when they're standing there waiting for the judge to salute them, for them to go up on the event, that's when you see them get the most nervous and they're, they start breathing heavily and they'll, they'll get sweaty palms and they'll start trying to get saliva in their mouths. And it's like, I can help them prepare for that moment better than anybody. I just need to hire people to do the X's and O's. And then the next part of it was, you know, let's, let's back up a bit. Why do you even want to coach? Why don't you go be a journalist like you were going to do? And that thought was very clear to me or the answer to that thought was very clear to me that I absolutely to this day more than ever believe that sport is the greatest master class you can take on life lessons it is a master class on a really really tough 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 life lessons that you do not learn in the classroom and so I'm going to take these young women that do the sport of gymnastics and I'm going to to fulfill them as, as, and encourage them to be the be very best that they can be as whole human beings, I'm gonna develop champions in life through sport. And that became my why. And then I just figured out my how later. Amazing, amazing. I think, uh, I think Mark Twain or something said that the two best, two most important days are uh, when we learn out or when we when when we're born and then we learn out when we learn our why or when we find out our why um something yeah. like that i know I, I don't think i quoted him correctly but um that's because i thought that was simon sinek <laughs> it, it really could be mark. actually you know it could be to be honest with you i think uh for some reason i'm attributing it to to uh to mark twain but uh yeah, it, it, it might not be <laughs> um but that's an important <laughs> lesson to learn like here why am i doing this what is my like what's happening and uh, so is that, that's what turned into your kind of coaching philosophy was? That's what resonated with me because I didn't grow up in the world of athletics. I didn't grow up with this, this guttural desire to beat you. Like I'm 
very competitive. I think most human beings are competitive by nature, but I didn't grow up with this wanting to beat you so I could have bragging rights over you. And so none of that ever resonated with me. And I had to find something that resonated with me. And what resonated with with me was, gosh, you know, when athletics teaches you how to be resilient, how to get knocked down and not just get back up, but get back up with better intention and better purpose and a better and a clearer vision of how you're going to not make the same mistake. Athletics teaches you about being a team player. Athletic teaches you about the fact that you're part of something greater than just yourself and you've got to sacrifice for that. Athletics teaches you so much great stuff. I literally, when people would ask me later on in my career, you know, what do you do for a living, living when they didn't know what I did? And I'd say, I develop superheroes. And then they'd look at me like I'm crazy. I said, I do. <laughs> I'm head coach of the UCLA gymnastics team and I develop superheroes through sport. I, I, I love that. I wish I could uh, could steal that from you. I think that's uh, that's a great that's a great line. Okay, you didn't copyright it. It's not a it's not a, a copyrighted no, term. Can't... Copyright <laughs> uh, but I think it's true, and I think uh, you know coaches play such an important role, and those life lessons are ones that we carry with us for our entire lives. I mean, I I, I agree with you. I learned almost everything from from sports. I mean, there's I learned other lessons, but like I can almost always point something back to something that happened or something I learned while playing or being involved in, in some way as a kid and even growing up. You know what I think is great that you just said? You said you learned so much from sport and I thought you were gonna say you learned so much from your coach. And I think, you know, the one one of the biggest reasons why you and I connect is because we don't we don't subscribe to the win at all cost mentality. And so for you to say you learn so much from sport is so pure of what sport can teach a young child if the coach or the parent doesn't screw it up. Right, right. Two, two big ifs at times. Um, right. Those are two big ones. And, and it takes, but that, that, that puts the role of the coach and the parent, of course, but in such a big place. Like the coach has a real, I don't think a lot of, um, folks sometimes realize how like coach coaching is is difficult and it's it's a uh, it's challenging and it's it's a it's a really it's such an important role because you have so much time and influence and opportunity to to spend with with young adults and, and youth uh, at a really important time in their development and um, you know you're also doing you're part of something that they hopefully love to be doing um, and and so you you have a really important role and I think um, you know being a coach is challenging but it's also incredibly rewarding because you're also learning at the same time um, if, if you're doing it correctly hopefully you're you're also learning I would be interested to do a survey or see a survey of coaches from all different sports and how many coaches would prefer just to be accountable to the X's and O's and the wins and not have to worry about the, the emotional and the mental effect that you're having on the, on the athlete. Because I know for me, like that's the only reason why I coached is like, I loved seeing the development of young women and helping them make better choices in their lives. Um, but I think there are a lot of coaches that just love the game so much 
that they don't want to be bothered with the development of the athlete as, as a person. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know how you feel, but I, I think sometimes that's the hardest part is the, is the non-technical side, you know, as a, as a soccer coach, I can learn drills and I can learn um, tactics and I can continue to get better on that. But, you know, it's that, that social emotional side requires a lot of intentionality and focus and, and time and energy and, and it needs to be put in. Um, it doesn't just happen overnight as, as I'm sure you have, you, you know, and have found out it's not necessarily Monday. I'm going to focus on this Tuesday. Everything's great. Um, you know, you have to really be intentional with things. Um, and it requires a lot of, of energy to do that. And, and so, yeah, that'd be a really interesting case study to, to see what, what the results may be. I will look into it. I think that is something that would be really interesting to find out. I would love to, to see what the results is. I, that's a great idea. Um, because I, I know for a fact, there are a lot of coaches that just shake their heads and it's like, they just want to beat their head against the wall because you can say one thing to a child or a teen or a young adult and they can translate that totally differently depending on how, right. And we all do that, but especially in that young developmental stage, like of the brain. Right. And, um, I know so many coaches, myself included, I'm sure you do the same thing. It's like, okay, seriously, that's not what I say. Just go straighten your legs, you know? Let's not make this a big deal. Just go straighten your legs, please. Um, That's why I also later on um, realized that coaching is, to me, is motivating change in someone, not dictating change. And so if I was trying to get one of our gymnasts to do the skill with different techniques, and I told her over and over again, um, straighten your legs, straighten your legs, straighten your legs. I will have a better result if I can motivate her to want to straighten her legs by explaining to her and teaching her and educating her why she's, she's going to have a better result more consistently if she straightens her legs. And so there's a different motivation there besides just because coach told me to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And and some ownership over it too. You know, hey, coaches, you know, motivated me to do this. And then and I took that information and then I straightened my legs. I learned how to do this. And, and there's like ownership to, well, I was able to, right. to do that from the, from the guidance, you know, that's important. And um, yeah, I think, uh, and, and that comes from something that I wanted to talk to you about and, and something, I hope I'm quoting you correctly, but I think you, to quote you, I think you said, uh, so when you arrange the word listen, it spells silent. Um, and so in order to truly listen, we have to silence our brains and stop trying to be correct or right uh, and figure out how to respond. Um, I, I think listening is so important. And, and we some, as adults and coaches, you know, that, that some, is not always our, our strong suit um, at, at times. And so I'd love to hear your kind of expanding on that quote and a little bit of, of the role that listening plays in, in all of this. Yeah, I have found... Um, especially the last few years, the importance of developing the skill to listen. And it's not something that you can just go, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a, a great listener. It doesn't happen like that because you really need to practice silencing your mind. And we all do this. We all are formulating our response as the other person is speaking. And um, 
is like the example that is the most profound for me that I mentioned in our TED talk was my hour, <laughs> my TED talk was um, Kyla Ross, Olympic gold medalist. She was a junior at the time for us. And uh, she wasn't one to talk much. And this was the year that uh, Larry Nassar got exposed, the mm -hmm. USA gymnastics team position. Remember it well. Uh, for being a, a sexual abuser. And Kyla, like, I love Kyla. We had a great relationship, but we didn't talk. Like, we weren't like, she wouldn't just stop by my office to talk. So one day she does, and she talked a lot. And my inner voice was thankfully telling me, just shut up and listen. Don't interrupt. Don't acknowledge what she's talking about. Just let her talk. And it, she finally came out and disclosed that she had been sexually abused by Larry Nassar. And it was the first, I was the first person that she told that to. Oh. And um, so we talked about it and I chose to share this discussion, not her discussion, but the discussion, just bring up the whole Larry Nassar thing um, with our team because our assistant coach, Jordan Weaver at the time had just given her impact statement in Michigan in the middle of our season. And I knew that if Kylie came forward and Jordan came forward, there must be other people on our team. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to a safe space and I chose to talk about this right in the middle of the season, which so many people thought I was insane for doing that because we all know you don't want to bring in a distraction during your competitive season. Right. You know, that that's ridiculous. That's and crazy. every head yeah. learns that. Distractions are bad. Okay. Talk about a distraction. Um, but I think I, I think I've talked about it two or three times in two or three different team meetings through the course of our season. And that year we won the national championship and I will never, ever forget. One of my most proud moments was when Kyla Ross came to me after we won and said, Miss Val, I literally felt myself walk taller as the season went on simply because you listened to me and I had been hurt and you gave me that safe space. And at that moment, it was like, yes, the skill to develop the skill to truly listen is one of the greatest communicative skills that we need to hone as human beings. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do they say? We have, we have two ears and, and one mouth for, for a reason, I think. Uh, right. I, 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 that's a lesson I've, I've always trying to learn myself as well. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a talker. I like to talk and, and, you know, I, I have to remind myself all the time as well. Like I need to be more aware of, of how I'm thinking or how I'm listening and be, be very intent, be intentional at times right. and, and, you know, focus on. And you know, what's really fun, right? Is I am a firm, I am such a firm believer in the power of words and the words that we choose are so important. And so when you really listen to someone, especially, you know, I was working with 18 to 22 year old young women right. um, who would remind me whenever they would get in trouble or say something wrong, they would remind me that, you know, Miss Val, my frontal lobe is not fully developed yet. <laughs> so that's their excuse for doing something stupid or saying something stupid. And I would love to just, um, 
like if you, if you truly listen to someone, you hear the words that they're saying. And then when I would say, you know, you said you use this word, is that really what you meant? And quite often it's not the word they meant. Yeah. They were just spewing, you know, word vomiting. And so the next part of that teaching lesson was, okay, don't just learn to listen well, but learn to slow your mind down and choose your words carefully. Right. Yeah. We can all use, I think we can all use that reminder in that lesson. Um, no matter where, what we're at, no matter how young we are, how old we are, what, what, what we're doing. That's an important lesson. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and so you touched on something that I think is really important as a coach um, and something I think maybe we had an advantage of coming from not having that experience necessarily in that sport. Uh, and that is creating a safe space and creating a, a culture in the team, uh, a positive culture around the team. And I think that safe space is, is such a big part of that. Um, what are your thoughts on, on how coaches can create a, a safe space for their players and their, and their athletes, knowing that, you know, it, how it might look in, in gymnastics versus soccer versus tennis versus something else could potentially look different. But I think the, the overall, the things that we can do as coaches can go across sports and across situations. Um, you know what? There's a reason why there's a movement out there. I think it was started with LeBron and Nike. Um, I am more than an athlete. And it's something that professional athletes are feeling more and more comfortable to speak to. Um, but it's it's universal, and I think that I think there would be very few athletes around the world that would want to only be known as as an athlete. They want to be known as a hum, as a whole person. And um, I think it's so important for coaches parents, anyone who's overseeing the development of somebody else to, to acknowledge that person as a whole human being and the gifts and the blessings that they have, um, the blessings they have, the gifts that they are able to share with the world that go beyond their sport. And, you know, I've just maintained without question that you can develop like let's take the sport of gymnastics and what's happened in this country. We developed the greatest gymnasts in the world consistently, but how we went about doing that stifled so much of these young athletes overall growth that I maintain that we would have had that same level of success gymnastically but it would have even been a better result, more profound, had the USA Gymnastics cared about them as whole human beings and not just commodities for another win, for another medal, for more money. Right, right. Do you think, and this is actually, so the last episode that I, that I did was about sport specialization. Um, and um, I, internally, I, I, I want to be upfront and say I'm, I'm not... An expert in gymnastics, I think um, you know. I, I can't say that I I, I, I watch and, and I am am fully aware and uh, I do know a bit. But I, I my internal thought is telling me that gymnastics is a sport that often requires a lot of specialization and requires a lot of focus and a lot of attention. Um, 
and I could be wrong with that, but that's just my internal thought. No, um, I, I totally agree with you. I think that I've always felt that, you know, gymnasts can go out and play another sport and they may be pathetic at it because gymnasts notoriously do not have good hand-eye coordination, <laughs> um, but they can play. But another athlete can't come in and play gymnastics. And I had one of our greatest running backs um, at UCLA stop by the gym one time. I mean, he's got like a 24-pack in his stomach. He's just... <laughs> specimen an athletic specimen right. and he says to me miss Val, i want to go around the bar and it's like a giant around the bar straight body and i said great go jump on the bar go around the bar and he literally thought that he because he was so talented and so strong that he could will his body around the bar and it was he was like rrr, 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 rrr. <laughs> yeah like not even getting to horizontal mm-hmm. and he came down he's like dang and um, you're absolutely right. Gymnastics is a really specialized sport that you've got to start at a very young age. Right. And, and why, why is that? Why do you, and why do you think that is? Is it just because of the nature of the sport or is there, is there something about gymnastics that kind I, of requires that? I think because it's not natural. Hmm. It's not, it's, you know, it's natural for you to run and jump over a bush so like hurdles mm-hmm. and, you know it's natural we grow up picking up a ball and trying to shoot it to a, a goal like through a hoop um gymnastics it's not natural to jump in the air and twist and flip and so you've got to develop you know as we all know they say ten thousand hours of the correct um, repetitions mm-hmm. to develop muscle memory and or ten thousand repetitions and um, it's it gymnastics is this weird conundrum of you've got to start really young, and you have to have a the conundrum of it is excuse me is that you have to be coaches have to demand extremely strong discipline and focus in these athletes at a young age. While at the same time, not stripping the joy out of the process of learning. But that's really, really, really hard because they're learning really tough skills at a young age. And if they lose their focus and concentration, they can get seriously injured. Right, right. You know, even if they're falling off the beam, if they're not in the moment, they're going to fall off the beam badly. They're going to dislocate an elbow or a shoulder or something like that. Um, and so the amount of attention and focus to detail that they need to start before they hit 10 years old, you know, at five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, um, is, is key. And then how do you marry that? Like I said, with infusing the joy in the process of learning, because I feel that is one of the key ingredients of what makes sport magical. Absolutely. Is when you lose joy. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that the athlete, the young athletes at, at five, six, seven years old, they're not just so focused on the end result. It's the the process of, of, of going through it. The process. Yeah. Have you have you studied or documented the the athletes in the in the Netherlands? Have you um, I, you know, I'm, f- I'm familiar with, with other youth development pr- practices and processes, um, not in a, an, an incredibly intimate level. Um, I just wrote, I've just heard in the last few years 
actually it was after the last Olympic Games when they took home so many medals and the president of their in their of their Olympic Federation said that one thing one reason he feels his athletes do so well is because in the Netherlands you do not compete for a score or a championship until the age of 13. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so kids grow up playing. And you look at what's happening in America, kids stop playing at such a young age because the win and getting on that that prestigious team supersedes going out and playing and having fun and playing. Which is which is very sad and and it's uh you know something that we it can't it can't continue that way I think uh, the Aspen Institute here in DC they do a lot of stuff on you know why kids play start playing and why kids stop playing and it's you know that that idea of like I wanna I wanna have fun I wanna play with my friends I wanna you know I, I enjoy it or you know whatever it is and that's the same you know they're also stopping for those reasons it's not fun anymore or there's so much pressure or you know, it's the reason why I started playing is just not what's going on anymore. And it's uh, coaches can play a really big role in, in that happening and, and, and ensuring that it remains like a, a fun activity and something that they enjoy doing. And, and you know, that can be a coach's coach's role is, is helping navigate kids as they go through these different age groups. It can be competitive and and it can be challenging. It can be all those things, but it's also got to be these other things. Um I think that's where Coach Wooden's definition of success comes in. Success is knowing you have done your best. And when I speak to to clubs, gym clubs, or coaches, or even parents, especially parents, um, it's so important to have a conversation with your son or daughter and define what success looks like for them for the year and then break it down for the quarter, for the week, what will success look like today when I drop you off? Because you mentioned the Aspen Institute. I love the, the work they do. And, you know, they've done their studies and their research. And 65% of kids quit sport before the age of 11 because of the pressure. And those, the majority of those kids that were interviewed about why they quit say they quit. They decided to quit on the car ride home. Mm. And, you know, that's when they're just getting barraged by these, by the parents' questions about, did you win? How many points did you score? All of this pressure, pressure, pressure. And you may have a son or daughter that's not going to be scoring any points, but let's define what their success for them looks like that day. Right. What is that? How many teammates did you help today? Did you help a teammate get through a bad day? What, how did you improve? Did you ruthlessly work on and attack your weaknesses today? Did you have, let's make those incremental um, adjustments towards a positive goal. Let's celebrate those every day. Let's not wait for championships to see if we won the national championship to decide if we are worthy of celebrating or not. Right. And celebrate them consistently, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I wonder, um, you know, I think that's such a, that's, that's such a great point. I was trying to think of, of, of how often we focus on that end result and, and, and not on what leads to that end result or, or then how we respond to that end result when it may not be the end result we had planned for. You know, we, we wanted to win the national championship, but we didn't. And, but we did do this and we were successful because 
we accomplished that we were good sports and we we overcame adversity and we you know learned learned something in the process and and that's that's so important and you know anybody who's watching or excuse me listening to this um if you want a really great example of what i'm talking about go to youtube and pull up ucla gymnastics uh 2018 national championship or pull up peng peng lee she was our last competitor on the last event and the whole championship that whole uh actually that was the year that um the whole larry nasser kyla ross thing also we were in fourth place the entire meet we were we went to our last event which was balance beam which is like the make or break event in gymnastics we were hoping you know let's just leave it all on the floor and maybe we'll finish third and we did unbelievable i mean they all almost every single one of them pr'd have their best scores ever and we got to the last person up for us peng peng lee it was her sixth year so she had decided to come back after a lot of injury and she just crushes it and dismounts sticks her dismount and the whole team just erupts sobbing joy cheering but we didn't know that we had won we were just that exuberant because we could finish our season with no regrets and then Pang's score came up and she got a perfect 10 but still i was just talking on the phone yesterday about it i said you sure you didn't know we won the championship she goes miss val i didn't (laughs) i was so happy that i finished my career with the best routine I could do and that I got a perfect 10 and that's how I finished my career. She goes, it, that's why I was just sobbing. Right. So it had nothing to do with the win. She gave it her all. She, she followed John, yeah. John Wooden's definition of success. Yeah. And that's like, you know, when I think about what are my goals every year? Okay. We're, we're usually talented enough at UCLA to buy for the national championship. But more than anything, I want to leave with no regrets especially because i mean gymnastics is a totally subjective sport and i mean we have won championships by a quarter of a tenth mm-hmm. which is like a little head nod and we have lost championships by that smallest of margin and that's the same way with every single sport you know um it, it can take one call from a referee to totally determine one bad call right right to determine um, who wins and who loses a game, but um, I have no idea what I was talking about just now. <laughs> well, I mean, so I, this this makes it something. What is you learn? You open the book up, and it, and it gave John Wooden's definition of success. But um, I, I know you also have a definition of success. And what is so? What is what is your definition of success? Or what is it? What is your definition of success turned out to be now that you're? My definition of success. That's a really good question. Yeah, because I know my definition of coaching, which is motivating, motivating um, change in people. Um, my goal for my job is to develop champions in life through sport. And my definition of success, okay, I have a definition of success. I need to pare it down though. Um, my definition of success is when each one of us coaches on the staff and our student athletes can go home, go home every night and have some quiet time and run through our day and be able to check off the boxes of, was I 
honest today with people? Did I work hard? Did I cut corners or not? And if you can check out of chalk up back that, hey, you know what? I had a good day. If you can chalk up more days like that than not at the end of your year, then you've had a good year. You've had a good season. And that's why I say the only way that you can finish your season at the national championships or the Olympic championships or wherever you are is if you can leave regardless of win or lose without any regrets. And so regrets look like those days that you cut corners. Regrets look like those days where, you know, you were pretending like you were eating well and getting enough sleep, but no, you weren't. On all those little regrets are like, what's the, what's the saying about death by a thousand paper cuts or something like that? Right, right, right. That's the death of regret. I love it. So, so I think the John Wooden's definition still kind of kept kept with you, though. Like you kept that with you the, the whole time, and then as as you oh, yeah. added, to, you kind of added to it and and made it your own. And and um, I think none of the things you mentioned there were were about they were irrespective of winning. They weren't about right. you know at the end of the year. Of course, we'd love to win a national championship. Of course, we'd love to do this. But you know, we can still be successful if if that isn't the end result. Right. And I firmly believe in, I love life so much, and I firmly believe in, you should never do anything in life without infusing joy in it. Thank you all for listening to part one of my conversation with Miss Val. Uh, I hope you all took away as much from it as I did. And please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss part two of this conversation where we talk about why joy is so important and how we can instill it in others. Until next time.